0: Uh, happy Filipino-American History Month, and welcome to the Asian American and Asian Research Institute's uh, Friday evening lecture series, online edition. Uh, I'm Anthony Wong, program coordinator of the Institute. Thank you for joining us uh, tonight for our book talk on Filipinos in Greater Boston by Mary Talusan Lakan uh, Joining us all the way from California today via Zoom, uh, the book was recently published in April 2023 by Arcadia Publishing, and it is available online for purchase for $23.99 directly from Arcadia, but uh, I dropped the link into the chat for uh, a book order form where you can get a signed copy directly from Mary. Uh, Mary Talusan lakaman is Assistant Professor of Asian Pacific Studies at California State University, Dominguez Hills. Uh, she is the author of Instruments of Empire, Filipino Musicians, Black Soldiers, and Military Band Music During U.S. Colonization of the Philippines. Uh, she is the co editor of Our Culture Resounds, Our Future Reveals, a Legacy of Filipino-American Performing Arts in California. And she is also the co-producer of uh, Kulintang Cultura, uh, Tanongkang Kalentuyan, and Gong Music of the Philippine Diaspora. Uh, She performs with the uh, Pakaroyan Kulintang Ensemble. Uh, and this isn't the first time that Mary has presented at the Institute, uh, her uh, two other lectures are available on our website I'll drop the link into the chat and you can uh, view them after tonight's talk, uh, so please welcome Mary to Lausanne.
1: thanks so much Anthony and uh, thank you so much for having me again. Um, I always love talking uh, to your audience and sharing my work. I'm really um, pleased that you're hosting this during uh, Filipino American History Month, because that's exactly what my book is about, a little piece of uh, Filipino American history um, that has probably gotten very little attention. In fact, I believe this is uh, the first book work on uh, Filipinos in Greater Boston, and I'm just really so excited to share it with you today. Um, oh, a little bit about my bio. I got tenured, so I am now Associate Professor and Chair of Asian Pacific Studies, so hooray. Um, so let me start sharing uh, my lecture, my slides with you, um, so you can, we can take a peek into the book. I'll show you some of the highlights uh, from the book that I'm really, really, really proud of. Um, so why did I write this book? Well, as a Filipino American growing up in Massachusetts, um, I have to say I had very little connection, um, ve- very little exposure to the um, culture of the Philippines. And I think that played into the reason why I'm so passionate um about my work, about research, and um about educating others on the history of Filipino Americans. Uh, my grandmother would come every once in a while um, and stay with us, and really that was my only connection to the Philippines. But fortunately there were several Filipino American organizations in New England. And every once in a while we would get together have parties, of course, and um, uh, balls uh, for these organizations. And in that way, I started to learn more about the Philippines um, and what my parents and their friends really valued about being Filipino Americans. Now, in this book, Filipinos in Greater Boston, Um, I'm going to be talking about the people that I grew up with, or a lot of them that I grew up with, because my parents and their friends um, settled in Boston, in greater Boston, um, after, uh, during and after the 1960s. So they were part of that wave of immigrants after the 1965 Immigration and Nationality Act, which opened the doors to increased immigration from Asia. Now, the reason my parents and their friends um, decided to come to Boston was that there was a real need for medical professionals. And so they come from a very particular moment in history and reasons for being in the United States. And I will go into that more, but you'll often hear me refer to them as Tita and Tito, because that means aunt and uncle, and that's the way that I'm used to referring to them, so you'll hear me say that a lot. But Filipinos in Greater Boston, I've always wanted to write this book uh, because I really wanted to capture um, the important things that Filipino Americans have contributed to the U.S., but very specifically to Greater Boston. First, what is Greater Boston? What am I referring to? Well, um, Greater Boston refers to the towns, the major towns surrounding, um, Boston proper, which would include, say, Cambridge, um, and, uh, other towns, uh, my parents and come from Easton. Um, there's also Sharon. There's, uh, um, lots of towns around Greater Boston that we would consider sort of part of that area. Now, my parents' generations weren't the first to come to Boston. In fact, I want to take you through the early history of Filipinos um, in Boston. Uh, the introduction to the book gives about a two-page overview of this history, which surprisingly actually stretches before um, the 20th century. So, there were some Filipinos, um, in Boston, uh, in the Boston area during the Civil War. And this is documented. We actually have their names, um, of some of the men that were around because they enlisted, um, in the U.S. military to, to fight for the North during the Civil War. So we're talking, 1861 to 1863. And it's really, really surprising, um, that that history stretches so far back in time. And so while there were Filipinos during that time in the Boston, Massachusetts, and New England area, there, we don't see, um, identifiable communities yet forming. In the early 1900s, um, we know that after the United States colonized the Philippines in 1898, they provided a way for Filipinos, uh, to, mostly from elite families, to come to the United States as pensionados. Pensionados were sponsored by the government to come to various universities around the U.S. and to study there, and they would often go back to the philippines and they became um, politicians um, government officials and um, all of those sort of jobs that helped to function the government so they were here in the early 1900s Um, let me go back a little bit i i i'm going to follow my slides so my book is part of the arcadia series um, and in this Arcadia series are other wonderful books that look at specific communities of Filipinos around the United States. And these are just a few. There's many of them. Filipinos in Hollywood, Filipinos in Stockton, California, Filipinos in Chicago, Filipinos in Vallejo, which is in Northern California, Filipinos in Hawaii, uh, Filipinos in Carson in the South Bay. And so these are really invaluable resources for uh, looking at Filipino-American communities around the United States. So I think my book is one of the latest ones, and there's still several in progress. So um, as um, scholars and community members, put together more histories of Filipinos, Filipino Americans in the US. It's just wonderful to have such a variety of books on Filipino American communities. So um, back in the 1900s, I wanted to um, point this particular group out because they didn't stay. Um, This is the Filipino Constabulary Band, and they, were visiting from the philippines there were about 80 um filipino musicians who formed a band called the philippine constabulary and they played military marching band music so if you're familiar with john philip souza uh, they played a lot of his pieces, um, and so they were a very, very popular group. In fact, they came to the United States several times over the, a period of 40 years to perform for U.S. audiences. There was a very big demand for them. One of the interesting things about them was that in 1909, they came to the U.S. to march in President Taft's presidential inauguration in Washington, DC. And after they did that, they toured the eastern seaboard playing in New York, in Connecticut, and in Boston, Massachusetts. So this is a photo of them at uh, Boston Symphony Hall. And these arrows uh, point to this one is their conductor. He is an African-American officer named William H. Loving. And his connection to Boston is that he went to the New England Conservatory, where I, 80 years later, also went to the New England Conservatory of Music. Um, and also this arrow here um, of this man sitting down, he's playing the flute and piccolo. He's my great grandfather. Um, and he came to Boston in 1909. I knew that he was a musician, but at the time that I was hearing about him, I had no idea that he came to Boston and played in Symphony Hall, where, um, you know, decades later, I would eventually play as well. So I included this photo in the book, because Filipinos um, were not just living in Boston, there were also visitors who would come, um, and important visitors that represented for American audiences and also Filipino Americans, um, the rich culture of the Philippines. So uh, this this photo is really, really important to me. Um I wrote about uh this band in my book called Instruments of Empire, which Anthony mentioned. Thank you so much. And um, including my great-grandfather, looked at all their travels around the United States and discussed um the importance of this group in the US. But anyways, back to Filipinos in Boston. So I start the book out with exchange students. As I said, they were pensionados who came here and studied for um, a few years and even graduated from some of the top universities in the country. And of course, Harvard would have been considered one of those very prestigious universities for Filipinos from the Philippines to attend and then go back with their education and contribute to the Philippine nation. So this one is um, Marcial P. Lachauco. He was the first Filipino to graduate from Harvard College in 1923. That's very, very early. And I'm sure some of your audience members would be surprised to know that there were Filipinos even back in the early 1900s. Um he co-authored a book. Um and he also married um a woman named Jessie Coe, who was an American woman, and she went back with him to the Philippines and um where she just recently passed away at the age of 109. Um, there's a film <clears throat> about her that you should watch. Um, it's wonderful. Um, and so he uh, graduated from harvard and also his family actually was here for a time The Lechaucos, including his sisters, went to the Academy of Sacred Heart in Newton, and this is in the 1920s. Um, And so this family was here um, living in Boston um, in the 1920s. You can see that this photo um, that was given to me by the Lechaucos family um, is dated 1914, so actually... um, even earlier than when uh, Marcial came and attended Harvard. So that's wonderful to know um, that there were Filipinos in the Boston area so early on in the century. Um, just a note, I just really, really love these kind of old photographs um, and the kind of clothes that were they were wearing. Um, they're just so wonderful to look at. I, I was really excited that um, that the families allowed me to share these photos in my book. Here we have um, a group of Filipino students from the Philippines posed in front of MIT. Um, From the left to right, there are graduate students, including Luis Hidalgo Lim, Mike Unsan, and um, several of their friends. Now, the connection between Hidalgo Lim um, was that he was the son of General Vicente P. Lim, the first Filipino to graduate from West Point. And his mother was Pilar Hidalgo Lim, who was an organizer for Philippine women suffragettes. Um, and so when I said earlier that some of these Filipinos who studied in the U.S. came from elite families, you can see here that, um, they had parents who were um, involved in um, Philippine life, in politics, and also they became involved in the leadership of the Philippines. Now, eventually, Luis's daughter, um, Patricia, my tita Patty, settled in Lexington and um, raised her family there. So her children are also uh, now here in Massachusetts and uh, became the next generation, my generation, of Filipino Americans. Now, Boston... Um, was not only host to Filipinos from the Philippines studying there, but they also had some really deep connections to the Philippines. In fact, in the 1920s, um, we see already that there are a number of students that created student groups um, in the different colleges that they were attending and they also came together to form one big organization called the filipino collegians of greater boston in 1924. those students attended harvard tufts mit boston university uh, northeastern university and they came together to bring attention to the philippines um, and um, one of the things they did was to celebrate the Philippine national hero Jose Rizal. They raised the Philippine flag in Boston, and they wanted to draw attention to the Philippines' rich history um, of intellectual traditions, of writings, and of education. Why was that important? Well, actually, during the early 1900s, um, I mentioned earlier that the U S colonized the Philippines in 1898 and um it's a very long story but there were real doubts by Americans who were not at all familiar with um Phil- the Philippines or with Filipinos and in Boston as i said there's already connections to the Philippines there was an anti-imperialist movement that protested president Mc- McKinley's annexation of the Philippines and they actually held their first meeting at Boston's Daniel Hall on June fifteenth, and eighteen ninety eight. So they protested um, the annexation of the Philippines. They were very committed. Of course, the American Revolution had important ties to Boston and New England, and so they protested the colonization of another country. And so, while these Filipino students. Um, focused on Jose Rizal, that's what they were responding to. They wanted Americans to know that Filipinos were not the quote-unquote savages that were portrayed in American newspapers, especially during the Philippine-American War, and that the Philippines were not um, um, a country that couldn't govern itself. So there were very deep political ties here to the Philippines. Um, but back to my slides, um, there was a man called Captain James C. Fisher, and he was the son of American author and social activist Dorothy Canfield Fisher, who and he graduated from Harvard Medical School. Um, during um, the uh, a rescue operation that freed hundreds of POWs in what is known as the Great Raid. Fisher was critically injured, uh, and there's a movie called The Great Raid, so you could uh, watch that to learn more, but he was from Boston, and the doctors that tried to save his his life were doctors um, Julieta and Carlos Layug. Um, they tried to save him, but Fisher ultimately died on January 31st, 1945. Now, his mother, Dorothy Canfield Fisher, who I mentioned, she heard of the um, extraordinary measures that the Lyugues did to try to save her son. And she was eternally grateful. And she was so grateful, in fact, that she brought the um, Layugs to Boston to study medicine there. And they came and stayed for a year. Uh, they uh, stayed at one of her apartments in Boston. And so there's that deep connection Eventually, their son, um, Dr. Tony Layug, would settle in Boston with his family, um, very close to my family and, um, very close friends. Um, and so they kept that connection going, um, when their, uh, the Layug son settled in Boston as well. So this is actually a very, um, famous, um, uh, raid that happened during World War II, um, in which they tried to save um, American soldiers and the Filipinos that were assisting them. And so it's a very important historical connection to the Philippines. So the early um, immigrants consisting of medical personnel um, and Navy and military personnel um, began to come in a larger wave during the 1960s and so in the 1960s uh, um, Boston and other parts of the United States really needed medical personnel and they courted medical students um, doctors to come to Boston and so these are photographs um, that were shared with me and that are in the book um, of one of the first batches of um, these Filipino doctors to come to the u s and they made up um, in this particular hospital um, a a network of doctors that eventually um, other doctors who came to the Massachusetts would contact and This was the beginning of um, the um, of Pimini the Filipino medical. Philippine Medical Association of New England, um, when these doctors got together and supported each other by creating this organization. Other early arrivals, um, this is um, Remedios Mimi Yap, or Tita Mimi, as I refer to her. Um, She arrived in 1964 in Massachusetts, and she worked as a pathologist in Greater Boston Hospitals. Her uh she she married Bob Strickland or Tito Bob in 1966, and um, they lived their lives in Boston and were a really important part of the Filipino American community. Um, but there were other um, others who came to Boston to make their mark in Boston and, and not return to the Philippines. They stayed, they raised families, um, and became part of this greater community. This is Ildefonso Torres Laran or Tito Ilde as I refer to him. He came to Boston in 1964 to study at the New England Conservatory of Music. Once he graduated, he joined the Boston Pops Orchestra in 1968. As a flautist under the baton of American conductor Arthur Fiedler. Um, And he was very, very active um, throughout his life. And here's a photo of him in 2000, uh, where he performed again with the Boston Pops as a guest performer. What I I'm really impressed with as far as Filipinos in Boston go. They always were proud of their heritage and they found ways to bring attention to that. Um, they highlighted their connection to the Philippines and really just demonstrated pride. In this example for, uh, Tito Ilde would perform, um, music from the Philippines. In 2000, he performed My Country Philippines with the Boston Pops Orchestra it was conducted by John Williams, um, to celebrate Philippine Independence Day. So really, really active in Boston, but also really, really proud of his Philippine heritage. Um, and so the ongoing need for medical professionals lasted um, for over a decade in Massachusetts. Here's another photo of um, Filipino doctors who had just arrived from the Philippines um, at the Baird House um, at Malden Hospital um, in the 1970s. And I know for a fact, because I collected this photo from my childhood friend, um, Bernie Baggy, And she says, this is right after they got off the plane and arrived from the Philippines and arrived at the Baird house. And you can see from this photo, this is a colored photo. Photos in the book are black and white, but I'm sharing this colored photo with you because I want you to see the snow. I want you to see how thick the snow is. Um, and, that they just arrived from a tropical country. So you can imagine the the culture shock um, at um, a, arriving in a snow-laden um, uh, area. Uh, people in the Philippines have heard of snow, but to actually experience how cold it is in Boston during the winter time is really, really mind blowing. Um, I remember back when my parents, um, one of the early years that we arrived. Um, Boston experienced the blizzard of 78, uh, where there was, you know, massive snowfall. In fact, um, the National Guard had to be called in because the power lines went out and the streets were unusable and um, people had to be rescued. So um, arrivals from the Philippines really have to deal with uh, not only the culture shock of a different culture, but also the the physical um, experience of dealing with snow of winter Um, so i'm I'm just going to go ahead and highlight um, many different people um, from the book Uh, this is uh, tita patty or patricia lim Yusa. i mentioned her father earlier as um one of those pensionados who went to MIT. Um and she worked, had a broadcasting career. She worked for um WBZ's Evening Magazine, which is pictured here, um, and The Chronicle and WGBH's American Experience. So even though there weren't a lot of us, um they held, you know, prominent positions, visible positions, but of course when we study the f- History of Filipinos in the United States, um, were often invisibilized. Maybe we're thought to be, um, of other more well-known, um, ethnic groups such as Chinese or maybe sometimes even, um, Latinx or Latino. And so sometimes, um, our identities are not so clear, um, when we're in these different spaces, but we're there and, um, this, uh, particular Um, job that Tita Patti had put her in a very important position in in the news media. Um, Newspapers and magazines, um, I also collected and and put it in the book. Um, This first one here is a newsletter um, from the Benino S. Aquino Memorial Foundation, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Um, and their newsletter, uh, I took um, some shots and put them in the book uh, because they were an important group who contributed a lot to um, the People's Power Revolution um, um, and highlighting the work of Benino Aquino. Uh, this Boston Globe article showed in 2000 a group of Filipino teachers arriving um, who helped to fill the um, lack of teachers in Boston public schools. And then this one is an ad for um, my tita Mary Rose, who had uh, a line of sauces um, that were in every grocery store for a time being. I remember, Shopping at Stop and Shop or Shaw's, which, which are local grocery stores and seeing her sauces on the shelves. And it made me really proud that there was an example, a representation of Filipino culture, um, right out in society. So, um, it's really wonderful, um, that, that she started that business. Uh, Filipinos, um, who are predominantly Catholic and Christian were very active in, um, uh, the churches around the Boston area in their local churches, um, and so on. And this is a photo actually of my brothers, um, and their friend, um, Manny Felina at St. Ignatius Church, Boston College in 1992. They were altar boys. Um, and Every month, actually, the Catholic Filipino-American community in New England um, worships and celebrates Mass together. Um, they have, um, uh, after this Mass, they would eat together with traditional Filipino foods. And um, in various forms, this tradition exists today. So if you're ever hankering for Filipino food, you know where to get it now in Massachusetts. Filipino Americans in the New England area in greater Boston um, participate in the uh, affairs of their own local communities. Now, Filipinos in Boston, we don't all live in the same town. We're really spread out um, throughout Massachusetts and New England. And um, I live in California now where there are identifiable ethnic enclaves. There's one in Carson. There's a big Filipino community in Cerritos. There's a big Filipino community. But in New England, as of now, they're very spread out. And so like a lot of other Filipino Americans, uh, my family was only one of maybe two Filipino families in the town in the wider area um, amongst uh, say, five towns, there were maybe four Filipino families. So oftentimes, um, we, my siblings and I, would be the only Filipino-American, often the only Asian-American in our class, in our school, um, in our group. So we often had to play the role of educating um, our friends on what Filipino culture, Filipino identity was about. Now, it gets a little bit difficult and tricky because we actually didn't have very much access to, uh, um, Filipino history, uh, Filipino American history, uh, um, and especially during like the 1980s, we didn't have the internet. Yes, I said it. We did not have the internet. Mind blowing. We'd have to go to the library and I can safely say there were no books about the Philippines or Filipino-Americans in the library. So oftentimes we felt kind of alone. Uh, we had to sort of blend in and assimilate as much as possible. But there was always that feeling of being different. Um, and I think it would have really helped to have a book like this um, to understand that we do have a place In American history and that we've been here for a very, very long time. So this is a photo of my youngest sister, Eliza, who is pledging for her brownie troop in Easton, Massachusetts in 1983. Um, Here she is right here and um as i said oftentimes we were the only filipino and only the only asian face in the crowd um so we did our best to participate in american life just like everyone else um there were you know Brownies, Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, um, mar- school marching bands, soccer teams, basketball teams, all of those things that other American kids did. We were right there with them. Um, I have some shots of my family at uh, various <laughs> New England landmarks. Um, I can almost safely say that if you are Filipino and visiting boston you will have a photo right here with john harvard in harvard yard and so uh, this is the an early photo of my mom and dad and i'm here with my sister grace who wrote um a little bit in the book and um and other important landmarks so we Educated ourselves on the history of Boston, the importance of various landmarks commemorating, um, you know, the American Revolution and, um, really participated in Boston life. So we really had also great pride in being Bostonians. In fact, I've been living away from Boston for decades now. And I, when people ask me, where am I from? I still say, Boston. So, visiting these various landmarks, they weren't just sort of tourist destinations. They were really to become part of the history um, of of Greater Boston. Uh, this is um, uh, John F. Kennedy here um, in that photo, and so. Community get-togethers. Uh, Christmas was a very important time for uh, Filipino Americans in Greater Boston, and to celebrate, um, Escuela Hung Filipino, who, which is the oldest Filipino school in Massachusetts and New England, um, provided that connection to the culture of the Philippines. Um, as you can see here, they are wearing traditional um, Filipino attire. These are called barong tagalog. And it would be that one time of the year that um that we would see one or um uh our friends and family would wear one to celebrate Christmas not only the um the holiday itself but to also introduce the children who were born in Massachusetts and Boston, who had never been to the Philippines, some aspects of Filipino culture. So this is a photograph of Escuela Hung Filipino, Filipino school, or IP as we call them, at um, the house of Doctors Jose and Miriam Villanueva in Lexington Um, in 1997, um, at a holiday gathering where they sang Songs, holiday songs from the Philippines and ate um, traditional Filipino foods um, and brought us together as a community and gave us a little piece of um, the foundation um, of our identity as Filipinos. Now, I hope um, your listeners will be really interested in this chapter chapter four is called the Aquino Years and I include some never be seen never before seen photographs of the Aquino family. Um, just in case you're not aware, uh, Benino, Ninoy Aquino Jr. um was a Philippine senator who opposed martial law. He was in fact imprisoned for seven years by President Ferdinand Marcos, and he was let out of imprisonment to come to the U.S. In 1980, he needed bypass surgery following a heart attack. And he brought his family with him. Um, first they landed in Texas for the surgery and then later came to Boston in 1981, where he accepted a fellowship at Harvard and then MIT to hold several study groups on Southeast Asia and the Philippines. And they stayed until 1983. Now, I'm sure you're aware of the fact that his wife, um, Corazon Aquino, would become the first female president in um, in 1986, following the Philip uh, the People's Power Revolution. Now, if you don't know this history, you might be asking yourself, why did his wife become president um, at the time in in 1980 81? She had no idea that she would be thrown into politics. And I'm getting the this information and these stories um, from my parents' friends who knew her personally and also from um one of her relatives who is a uh, professor um uh, in in the US um and who has some of these important photos. Um, so in um uh, when Ninoy um, went back to the Philippines. Um, and, and please watch documentaries about this. He was assassinated right there on the tarmac as he was getting off the plane. And so the hopes for, um, for bringing about political change in the Philippines were thought to be dashed with his assassination. And his wife, Corazon Aquino, would eventually take up the helm to uh in that revolution and eventually became uh the Philippines president. Uh their son, um uh Benino Aquino the Third would also become president and he visited Boston in twenty fourteen. There's a photo in the book, so if you do want to see that photo, you're gonna to have to get the book. Uh, so when President Corazon Aquino was in Boston. She, They built ties with the community. They went to family parties. They um, participated in the life of the Filipino-American community in greater Boston. Uh, but when she did become president... The Escuela Hang Pilipino um, went to the Philippines and performed for her at Malakanyang Palace, which is like the White House of the Philippines. And so the rondalia ensemble, rondalia are these um, plucked string instruments that you see here. The rondalia ensemble toured the Philippines in 1990 while she was president, and they went and played for her at the palace. Um, it was really important for them to go there and bring a little touch of Boston, um, back to President Aquino, um, who had spent many years here. Um, so the, I love this photo because it looks like she's almost, uh, President Aquino is almost dancing as she kind of walks down the runway and, um, the, uh, the Rondalia ensemble is clapping for her. So I just love this photo. Early family photos. Okay. Um, my family came to Boston, um, in the 1970s and my parents were, um, uh, medical fellows at Tufts University. And, um, we lived in Boston proper, um, for several years before moving out to the suburbs. But I think my parents, um, although they missed the Philippines, they, were so connected to their community of Filipino-American doctors that um, they built a life for themselves here um, and were very proud of the life that they built. Eventually, uh, my sister would become uh, faculty at Tufts University. I did a couple of years as um as a postdoc fellow at Tufts University. And so we have this um, still a connection to Tufts University. But anyways, these are photos from our early years. We did very American and New England things like, you know, celebrating Christmas, but then also going apple picking. Um, my dad <laughs> brought us apple picking every year, um, just like other um, New England families, um, so that we could partake of that tradition. Um, kind of one of the things that I really miss about living in Massachusetts. We don't have apple picking here in California. Um, so, in addition to the Aquino family, um, dignitaries would visit Boston and they would often call up, um, friends of my parents, especially the Bucall family. Um, Dr. Dr. Almario and Mrs. Norma Bucal were, um, one of those, um, uh, families that were kind of the hub of, um, of the get-togethers and especially hosting, um, So this is a photo of Amalita Ming Ramos, the wife of President Fidel Ramos, the first lady of the Philippines from 1992 to 1998. And in addition to Filipino dishes, she is also treated to Maine lobster and clam chowder, which Filipino-Americans definitely adopted, Um, Filipino-Americans in Boston definitely adopted as Part of their um, their their food, their party food, their special food, and so we still to this day have Maine lobster and clam chowder, um, and really miss my mother's cooking right now. Um, but anyways, uh, Fidel Ramos himself um, also visited in two thousand one, um, and. In addition to giving a talk at the Fletcher School at Tufts University and Harvard Kennedy School of Government, he made time to visit the Filipino American community. In this photo here, he is hosted by PAMAS, the Philippine American Association of New England, who honored him with a dinner and he was um, greeted by the Filipino American community. So there's all these ways that Filipino Americans kept um, ties to the Philippines by having uh, these dignitaries visit every so often. Um Filipino Americans also participated in local government. For example, um Rudy Rudolph Hermosa, Tito Rudy, um, this man here, was asked by Governor Weld, um, this man here, uh, to create an Asian American commission to focus on the needs of the Asian American population in uh Massachusetts in 1990 and it was the first such commission in Massachusetts um Tito Rudy was recruited by the US Department of Labor Occupational Safety and Health Administration as a compliance officer in 1985 and he was just a very visible figure um in local government he was the first Filipino and the only the um only the second person of Asian heritage to be elected to public office in Massachusetts. There was one place um, during the 80s and 90s that was, um, sort of, uh, the center of Filipino American food because, um, Tita Ida or Amanda Ida Kalb opened Shuttle Stop in Quincy in 1995. And it was known for selling deli sandwiches, but also Filipino food. So every once in a while, people would go up there if they had a hankering for punsit and other traditional foods. But she ran a grocery and a catering visit. Uh, business, um, so that she would cater all of our important events. Um, and, uh, every once in a while, we can still get her to cater. So it was really like an important touchstone when, uh, people asked, is there like a Filipino restaurant? Um, well, there's a place called Shuttle Stop. And so, um, unfortunately, it did close in 2003, but there are other places, um, that are, are starting to open it up, open up in Boston. In 2000, um, there was a shortage of teachers nationwide, but specifically in Boston, uh, there was a need for math and science teachers. So in uh, <clears throat> 2001, some 200 teachers were recruited from the Philippines. Nine of those teachers came to Boston, specifically from the island of Cebu to start the 2001 school year. They were so... Um, welcomed and um, newsworthy that they appeared on television and they were featured in Boston newspapers. Now, you rarely read about Filipinos or Filipino Americans in Boston newspapers. So when they do appear, it's very, very notable. And the Filipino community um, saw them, contacted them quickly and welcomed them into the community. And some of these teachers in this photograph are still teaching today at Boston Public Schools. Um, one of my favorite Groups in Boston is called BFAB and they are the Boston Filipino American Book Club, which was founded in 2007 by artist Bren Bat- Bataclan as a social club to buy, read and discuss books written by Filipino American authors. And so this is wonderful to feature Filipino American authors at their meetings and to discuss these books. Um, and uh, they always get together um, for Filipino food, for celebrations, and they attend events. And so uh, this one was at the home of Bren and his partner, Bob, his husband, Bob, in Cambridge. Um, and uh, just a wonderful space to put pay attention to um, the amazing Filipino-American literature that's out there. Um, So I want to go over um, in the last few minutes about how I put the book together. And I'm sure you'll ask more questions. Um, But the photos in this book were really crowdsourced from my community. I started with my mom. Thank you, Arcel, for helping me contact uh, members of her her friends and in her network. Arcadia Books does like to focus on um, history of the past, not so much more recent history. So I needed to gather photos from my parents' friends who arrived in the 60s um, and 70s. Um, and I wanted to feature the foundation that they laid for us. Um, Filipino-Americans as we grew up, and um, the, these organizations are still around today. So I visited dozens of people um, to look through their photo albums, to scan their photos, um, and to try to figure out how I'm going to construct the chapters in this book, how I'm going to put together this history, out of thousands of little pieces of information, um, there are, isn't very much out there. Um, luckily my friend, um, uh, Dr. Richard Chu had written an article, um, looking at Filipino, um, Americans in Massachusetts. And so I gathered some data from that, but then the rest of it was literally going to each person's house and asking for, um, asking to look through their photo albums. And so I really handled these photographs with care because they're not just photos of history. They're really intimately people's photos of their lives. Um, And so putting this all together to make a a narrative and a history out of it was 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 quite complex and, and really did take a lot of work. So I launched the book, um, just in June of this year, 2023. Um, and it was so wonderful for the people who had contributed to the the book to come and, um, and get the book, um, have it signed and see what photo I was able to choose, um, from their albums and see themselves in print. Um, you're talking about, um, a community that rarely sees itself um, as participating in mainstream American life and to see my parents and their friends um, see themselves as part of American history was so um, touching, absolutely touching, um, to see that their lives um, laid the foundation for us young people and our success and and our children. Um, so I was really, really pleased. And then other people came out that had heard about the book um, and um at students, uh, other people in the community. And so I got to meet people that weren't necessarily in the book, but maybe just newly arrived to Boston or there were students from the Philippines that um were in different um, universities. And so they had heard about the book and wanted to um, see what the book was about. So I was really, really happy at the book launch. And finally, um, this book is just the beginning of what I hope um, others will, after me, will take up. Because history is never ending. It's it's always, um, always being made. And I encourage people to document, you know, their events, um, their parties, even if you think that it's not, um, that important, um, it is part of, um, you know, our life here in America. So future projects, um, at UMass Boston, my photos will be archived, um, even ones that I did not use in the book. So I'm really, really pleased that they, um, reached out. Thank you so much. Um, for reaching out and working with me to make these available um, for future researchers. And also there will be a a project with the Peabody Museum at Harvard um, with some of the photos from the book. Um, My own work here in California, I can't help it. I just keep doing the same thing. But I launched um, a Filipino digital archive at California State Dominguez Hills, if you just Um, Google CSUDH, Filipino American Digital Archive. You'll see some of the photos that I collected from organizations in Carson, California, who have had a long history of being in the United States um, and similarly laid the foundation for future generations. So those are just some of the projects I'm working with, and um, I can't wait to hear your questions. Thank you.
0: Just to start off, Marya. In terms of Arcadia Publishing, um, did they have a call for you know, uh, proposals for you know, certain projects, or did they reach out to you directly, or did you reach out to them directly in order to push this project?
1: Right. Um, so they didn't ha- necessarily have a call for this kind of project. They um, have on their website um, a, a place where you can submit proposals. And since I was already familiar with other books um, by Arcadia that look at Filipino communities, I just thought to myself, what a perfect way to um, to write a book about the history of Filipinos in greater Boston, because it's mostly photographs with captions. So um, I thought it was really, really important to represent them that way um, through photographs. So, um, yeah, they I submitted a proposal to Arcadia um, and it was approved. And then I began work on the project. And uh, how big is
0: the book itself?
1: How big is the book? I think it's, um, there are 200 photos in the book. Um, and so here it is right here. It's um, not a thick academic book. It's mostly filled with photographs and captions. And so um, very easy read, so to speak.
0: Uh, great accomplishment um new york city also has its uh yes. filipinos in new york city uh our uh, cuny distinguished professor and kevin nadal edited that and gave a past talk on it here at the institute as well
1: yes i have that book
0: <laughs> so so some comments uh irene aguilar says uh, maybe there will be a part two or continuation of uh, your book uh, featuring Filipinos in other states like Ohio, Michigan, Texas, Virginia, Wisconsin and D.C. and Seattle, uh, all states that matter. Uh, also, maybe the contribution of Filipino soldiers who uh, were side by side fighting uh, with the Japanese American soldiers during World War Two. Uh, these brave Filipino soldiers were never recognized as partners during the said war, uh, not until recently. And the U.S. government finally recognized them uh, for their bravery. To the united states um they also know who they can connect you to just in case you want to collaborate about both uh political and cultural filipino history uh, you could check that uh, uh email address i'll send it to you afterwards so you don't have yeah
1: to yeah no no thank you for that comment um there are other filipino communities around uh the nation of course and they're all very important um, but it ta- really takes the uh scholar that is very familiar with that community. Um, so for me, I, um, have this intimate connection to Filipinos in greater Boston. All of the other Arcadia books are written by different people. A lot of them are sponsored by their local Filipino American national history, um, society, um, group which has those ties to that community so i i probably i would not be going into other communities that i don't have a connection to um, to write those but i'm happy to um, give advice or give encouragement to other folks that want to take up those projects um, as a scholar i um, am not a world war ii historian um, so and I'm not a military historian, so I would leave that up to somebody with expertise in that area. But pointing out that, um, there were important connections between, um, the Filipino, um, soldiers who fought alongside, uh, U.S. soldiers in the Philippines during World War II. Yeah, that is very, very, um, important. Um, and I've seen presentations during, um, those Filipino American National um, Historic Society conferences uh, in which there are um, military historians working on that. So I know they're actively working on those, and I I really look forward to their books in their um, area of expertise.
0: Great. Uh, Grace Toulousan, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what did you learn that surprised you during, uh, you know, coming up together with the research and gathering everything?
1: Um. Well, there are a couple of things that surprised me. One is how, um, indebted we should be to our parents' generation. Um, back when I was a teenager and a kid, I wasn't always very enthusiastic about going to, um, Filipino-American parties or festivals and, and, um, whatnot. I thought they were just, um, gatherings by my parents and their friends. But looking at it through the lens of um, someone who is writing a history, I am so deeply impressed by their work in not just being uh, medical professionals who are working all the time, raising families, um, putting us through school, making sure we have the best education, but also participating um, in these civic organizations that worked hard to bring us together and to give us um, a sense of identity. So that's one thing that really surprised me that I now have this perspective that I didn't have, uh, as a child growing up. The other thing that surprised me was how hard this was going to be. I had to chase down literally thousands of pieces of information. Um, when you're asking someone, um, about a photograph from literally 30, 40, 50 years ago, and they're having trouble remembering the date, the name, where it was, you know, um, piecing together the history of Filipino Americans in Boston um, was really, really challenging. I mean, it took me a couple of years um, to do so, and probably, you know, hundreds of emails, texts, and phone calls. um, So I didn't know how hard it would be and difficult and complex it would be to put the book together i mean if you say that oh it's not a very long book but there it's just really chock full of details that i had to chase down so thank you for that question grace to (laughs) well
0: in terms of the editing process was it a much thicker book and then uh arcadia and that uh you know you have to slice some parts out because you said that there were uh many many other photographs that didn't appear in the book and now luckily it'll be at the umass boston's you know archives to to show
1: Mm -hmm. yes um, some of the photographs um especially the ones that were sent to me via email um were not um the the quality had to be really really high they had to be high quality scans and, um, sometimes I had a couple of people from the Philippines that I really, really, really wanted to include. Um, but we just could not obtain a scan that was of a high enough quality for the publishers. So I had to get rid of them. So, um, you know, I collected probably 500 photographs and ended up having to only use 217. So there was a lot um, that I couldn't include um, that were also important photographs.
0: And and we have a question from Alexandra Tamsi. Uh, In the lecture, the Filipino wave of migration in 1960 and 2000 were driven by shortages in certain professions, medical professionals, teachers. Uh, Have there been any significant legal or economic changes that drive Filipino migration post 2000?
1: Post-2000. Um, significant legal and political. Um, well, I, I think we're still seeing those things um, that we're still sort of in that um, that that history um, as far as significant um, political, legal well, um,
0: economic as well. Economic. Oh,
1: sure. Economic. It Well, um economically there uh always seems to be a drive to um come to the US but it depends on the time period and what is needed professionally that drives um, uh, for example hospitals um, uh, encouraging nurses from the Philippines to come over um and other sectors of of the workforce in fact um during the The Great Recession in California, just anecdotally, I knew a lot of Filipinos who actually went back to the Philippines um, because they um, put up businesses there uh, and so forth. So while, um, I'm not able to sort of delve into all the details of that, I think it's really a good question to see that throughout history, there have been these larger forces that led to, um, certain waves of immigration. And some of those waves are, are not as big as others. Um, certainly the post 1965 wave was, um, was pretty large compared to later waves um, and that there are uh, really a number of important factors that that, um, people should attend to when thinking about the identity of Filipino Americans, it's really, really varied. Um, you know, in the 1930s, uh, most Filipino Americans were agricultural workers. And then after the 1960s, we see the preponderance of medical professionals. And so, um, when people talk about Filipino Americans and their identities, it tends to focus on um, the kinds of careers that um, or work that they're engaged in at the time. So I think that's a really, really great question. I could probably send you um, some books and articles um, that I'm currently using in my classes to to bring that up more.
0: I would like to thank Mary for a wonderful talk presentation Uh, once again you can purchase copies of filipinos in greater boston online uh, from arcadia but if you want the autographed copy you can buy it directly from mary um is it the same price mary 23.99 or less
1: there's a little bit more for um uh, yeah no it's it's only it's 25 just a little bit more for postage and handling but yeah 25 flat with a and it's signed on the inside
0: okay And actually, I just wanted to make a comment. So you're you're you were born in Boston, but you know, funny you don't have a Boston accent.
1: (laughs) I did have one when I moved out of Boston. I went to college in Louisiana. No one could understand me, so I had to like bring those R's back. They were like, what? What are you saying? And I was like, no, it's not a Filipino accent. It's a Boston accent. In fact, my kids made fun of me because one time it was really hot here in L.A. And I was like, don't forget to drink water out of the bubbler.' And they were like, excuse me, what? What are you saying? And I was like, drink water out of the bubbler.' They were like, the, uh, the bubbler, bubbler, <laughs> the water fountain. That's what that means. So I, it still comes out once in a while.
0: I see. <laughs> well, uh, wonderful boston roots uh, thank you very much for sharing it with uh everyone uh you know by publishing uh this edition of uh the series uh yeah purchase it at arcadia or directly from mary and we have a comment oh actually irene irene arculars says addendum to what they said earlier uh to what she said, where are the original photos? They are now retired and lots of them return and reti- uh, returning to retire in the Philippines. Uh, I think the, the people who immigrated. The immigration of medical professionals are still ongoing. Some hospitals mm-hmm. hire more nurses, including uh, their family just to work in their hospital. So yeah, yes, that comment.
1: Thank you for coming, Irene. And thank you everyone for um, listening to me. And um, I hope you have a wonderful evening.
0: Yep. Everybody have a wonderful evening. And remember, if you see a fellow person in need, please be an upstander and see you all soon. Thank you very much. Good night. Bye bye.